you being a part of class and that you many of you have children and grandchildren in class and there are many in the annex and I am thankful for the privilege and the opportunity to be a a part of this family and to be a part of your study tonight would you bow with me please as we focus our thoughts our most holy and righteous heavenly father we are thankful for your goodness and your grace Forgive us, Father, when we are haughty, when we are forgetful, when we take for granted the things you've given us. Forgive us of the sins that penetrate our hearts and poison our, our, our souls. Father, help us to dig within your truth, especially tonight in Psalm 119, as we look at this particular section of that scripture and understand the things you would have us to understand about your word and how it works in our lives. In your son's name we pray, amen. In this particular section of scripture, uh, verses 81 through 88, we're going to look at, um, and of course as we think about David as its author, and most scholars believe that David was the author of this particular text, as I've already said, uh, for those who may be listening for the first time on social media or visiting for the first time this particular study. Psalm 119 is a rather lengthy psalm, a song, and each stanza, each eight verses of those songs, each headed by a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, each of them show David's relationship to God through and his relationship to God's Word. In other words, as I have stated at the, in the beginning, that it shows us something different each time about the power of God's truth. About if we, as we studied this morning from 2 Timothy 3.16, if we understand that God's word is literally God's breath. And I appreciate, uh, Brother Ken, something that you said this morning uh, about the idea that we don't just hear it, but it has to... We have to soak it in. We have to, it has to permeate us. And when you think about this, that's exactly, when we read this text, I couldn't help but read this afternoon this text without thinking about that. So, as we look at this particular text, and again, remember, uh, David is living as a child of God. And I think of uh, Hebrews 15 and verse uh, 4, that the things written aforetime were written for our learning. I can learn something when I think about David. When I think about David looking upward and Godward, when I think about David uh, understanding how God works through his word and how important it is, I can learn something for myself, and that's exactly what I, I want you and I to do tonight. So as you think about this particular set of scriptures, I want you to think about living as an eternal soul in human flesh. Living as an eternal soul in human flesh. When I read Genesis chapter 2, in verse number 7, God breathed into uh, the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. And we keep reading in that same context, and we understand that we, 
that is man, that is our soul, we are created in the image of God. So it is God who breathed into us the breath of life. And an interesting passage when you're studying the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 5 and verse 15, Daniel said, I was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body. Now that, that, that's an interesting, or um, as the ESV says, for, for as for me, Daniel, my spirit with me, within me was anxious. Within my body. And you know that word for body, that, that word for, uh, in that text, in the Hebrew, the word for body is the Hebrew word that has the idea of a, of a container, a holder, a sheath, if you will, like we think of a sheath for a knife or a tool. And David said that my, he recognized that my spirit rests or dwells or works or abides on this side of eternity as long as we are on that spinning thing we call the earth as it rotates around the sun and, and we recognize the passing of years and, and the passing of seasons as we are seeing right now, then there is a soul that was breathed into me that was created in the image of God that rests within this body of mine. And one of you just earlier today, well, um, when I came in, made a statement that really resonated with me because lately I'm having some, um, I'm having some chronological passage issues. That's a big word for saying my old age is really getting on, my, getting on me lately. Uh, and I'm having some back issues that I may have to uh, go talk to somebody in a white coat about. And as I do those things... I think about those things. Someone said, we weren't built to last. You know, that makes perfect sense. Even though we behave like we are, we act like we're going to be here forever. But the truth is, we were never meant, here to, meant to be here forever. And when I read these verses, it makes perfect sense. In Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7, Solomon said, And the dust shall return to the earth, and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. So there is a spirit within me, and that makes sense, or that helps me understand why James said exactly what James did say in James 2 and verse 26. Now, you understand that James was talking about faith there, Tommy. He was talking about, and that's okay, right, and I'll call your name, uh, that he was talking about faith. He was talking about faith that's not dead, the faith that lives, but he used an analogy or a comparison that nobody can miss, he, and it was an understood thing. So I want us to... Think about the understood thing for just a minute. As the body without the spirit is dead, he said. Okay, everybody got that. Everybody knew that. So they really could take in the lesson about faith. I want us to take in the first part. The first part is the body without the spirit is dead. So with all of that said, you said, I thought you might be thinking, hey, I thought we were in Psalm 119. We are, and that's where we're going. But the fact is... And let's begin on that platform, is that you and I live as an eternal soul in human flesh for the time that we are living on this planet, on this side of eternity. And so, as we think about that, I want us to look at three sections of this psalm where we see David, we see David's relationship with that uh, flesh and that eternal soul as he is as we see his um, relationship with God through his word. Number one, living as eternal flesh or an eternal soul in human flesh, sometimes I seek comfort during the tough times. Look at that passage with me. Sometimes I seek comfort during the tough times. 
My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. I want you to think about that just for a second. As you think about that particular passage of Scripture, first of all, please don't think that David, at least in my humble opinion, David was not questioning God. David was not arrogantly pointing a finger heavenward and saying, uh, when are you going to show up, God? When are you going to comfort me? Oh, oh, no. That's not bared out here. That's not borne out by the context here. Context. He said, my soul longs for your salvation. I am longing for the relief that I know is coming. I'm longing for the promise that you've made to come to fruition. My, my eyes long, and I ask, when will you comfort me? David is saying... I know that comfort is coming. Will I be able to hold out? Can I hold out? For I have become, look what he said, I've become like a wineskin in the smoke. Now, one of the things, and, and I want to make a personal observation, I guess, a, as your teacher tonight or your guide, as we think about this scripture, it is very easy for us to think about blanket applications and not think about how it actually applies to me and to us, really applies to us. Well, like a wineskin in the smoke. That's an interesting uh, image because it has to do with um, containers, whether it be water or whatever. Their bottles, as we would say, weren't made out of plastic. They weren't made out of glass. They weren't made out of some polymer. They were made out of animal skins. And those animal skins had to be cured, had to be cared for. In fact, Jesus understood that. He even used that in one of his lessons on one occasion. But if you hang that, let's say near your campfire or in your tent, and for some reason I've watched too many Westerns, too many John Wayne movies, I'm thinking I'm in a, I see this hanging in a teepee. If it's hanging too close to the smoke of the fire, it dries out. You know what happens to an animal skin when it gets heated and it dries out? It begins to... But it shrinks. It begins to crack. And what happens to its ability to hold liquid? It can't, can it? It begins to leak. And when it leaks, it's not any good. And so the idea here is David said, I have, I, my life, my, my emotions, maybe my soul even has become like this wineskin hanging in the smoke. Things happening to me, things happening around me. It makes me think of something, and he said it laughingly, but Brad Dillingham, the preacher, one of the preachers for the Strickland Congregation, a dear, dear friend of mine, who will be angry with me that I said his name on the Internet, but he is a dear friend of mine, and he looked at Terry Smith and me on one occasion before we were directors, and he said, you two make me tired. And some of you, are, you know exactly what that meant, right? And some of you said, I know that feeling. Uh, so you two make me tired. Uh, now, nod your head. Do you have anybody in your, no names, do you have anybody in your life that sometimes makes you tired? You know, some of you very quickly, no, don't nod that fast. Some of you are going to hurt yourself. You understand, though, don't you? Well, David, that's what this idea of becoming like the wineskin in the smoke. David said, there are times when life just makes me tired. The things that the world are doing if you want to experience David's feeling about being like a wineskin in the smoke, go home tonight and watch one hour of CNN. 
Spend 30 minutes in front of Fox News. And see, David said, this just makes me tired. But then watch what he said. Yet, I have not forgotten. The key out of this particular set of scriptures is very simple. Yet, I have not forgotten your statutes. In my mind, I can hear David thinking, okay, when will you comfort me? I'm hanging in there, but I'm getting tired. I can feel myself drying out. I can feel my edges. I want to hang on, but have you ever felt that way spiritually? We will. We do. So think about that for a second. It makes me think about, and I've been very fortunate with my health, but I had to take a stress test on one occasion. I didn't realize it was more than one stress test. You know, there's a stress test where you walk for a while and they hook you up and say, you're doing well. Then I found out there's another one where they keep uh, turning that thing inclined and they look at your heart with an ultrasound. I see some of you have done that. I wanted to say, I'm not a goat. There is no way that I can go up that incline. And he just kept inclining it. I wondered at first why there were two of them standing so close. I understood before it was over. Because I just kept going. And at one point, the doc said, at the end, he said, I need 20 more seconds. And in my raspy, voiceless voice, I said, I don't think I got 20 more seconds. I have never... I was thinking, you know, I, want, I see the end, but I don't think I'm going to get there. But I did. That's the very mindset that we could have, that David could very well be having here. He said, I'm, I'm like this uh, skin, like hanging in the smoke. Life and the things that are happening around me, I'm longing for you, God, because it's getting pretty intense. Now, I want you to think about something. Let's apply. But I want you to notice what's the key. The key is, yet I have not forgotten your truth. David said, that's the key to hanging on. That's the key to not falling through. Let's read a couple of scriptures together. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And I know that those are a couple of lengthy ones, but I have found that there is um, quite a bit in the context. But let's go to Romans 8. Now, I hope you'll turn with me or as you listen, that you'll listen and hear David's voice here. Hear what he was saying as we listen to what Paul is writing. So let's start with verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to, revealed, to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. The word uh, futility there has the idea of vanity or the the emptiness of um, life as we see, as we think about the future. That the creation itself will be set free, verse 21, from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You hear that? For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is, not, that is seen is not hope. 
For who hopes for what he sees? For if we hope for that which we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I believe this is a passage of Scripture that I don't listen to enough. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the Spirit, what the mind of the Spirit, what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. When we read that passage, often we read some of those verses or the end of those verses. But if you read the whole thing, Paul said, we understand that the whole creation, we've been groaning and we still continue to groan because we understand the futility of what's going on around us and of physical life itself. We look forward to God embracing us as our sons. We look forward, as we read in 1 Corinthians 15, to being changed. We look forward to those things. Now, look with me very quickly at 2 Timothy. And all I'm hoping to do in this short time is to give you a little bit of insight into the mindset of someone who holds on to the Word of God when things are difficult. Let's start with verse 1. First, uh, Second Timothy chapter 3. Now this morning we, were, we read verse 16. Now let's go all the way to 16. It's interesting how these two lessons have paired together. Let's start with verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Pause. How many of you, as you heard those words, had people or groups of people in the world around you come to your mind? Not your head like this. Anybody? For among those, verse 6, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Such as James and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. You, however, when I read that, I cannot pause there because I cannot help but hear David's word. I've become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten. I haven't forgotten what you said. You, however, have followed my teachings, 
my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, with persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from a child who, from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred scriptures, sacred writing, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I realize time is, is uh, limited here, but I cannot help but think about it. In fact, I asked Guy if he would go around, and this guy is why I did what I did. I wanted you to go around, and, and he went around just a few minutes ago and thanked the teachers again. How much we appreciate them for being where they are tonight and teaching our children. Because notice here, I, don't want to, I will not get on a soapbox, but notice here that Paul said, Timothy, all of this is going to happen. Not maybe, it's, it's going to happen. It'll happen in your lifetime. And in your children's lifetime, it'll get worse. And in your grandchildren's lifetime, it's going to get worse. And in the generations that follow, if the earth is still spinning around the sun, it's going to get worse. And he said, but you have learned from a child. Folks, if we wait until our kids go off to college to start telling them about how important it is to be faithful to God, we are running behind the train trying to catch it. Because it's already left the station. We have got to begin now to equip them. Persecution, verse 12. I've been thinking a lot about this. Sometimes we look in the Scripture. Even the writer of Hebrews told uh, those to whom he was writing that you've not even suffered unto the point of death. Even things then were beginning to change a little bit. We think about persecution... We look and we don't see soldiers marching down our streets, dragging us from our homes. We don't see uh, any of our uh, brethren, our brothers or sisters being wrapped in animal skins. And we don't see any of those things. And so therefore, we think persecution is a principle. We get it. But folks, the Romans didn't persecute the Christians. Wait, what do you say? The Jews didn't persecute Christ. They were the instruments of Satan who was attacking Christ. Now, yes, they physically did the things they did physically, so don't misquote me. But they were simply instruments of sin, instruments of Satan. So think about this with me just for a second. Cogitate, as one of my uh, old instructors would say on this, this week, think about exactly what it means to be persecuted. When we live in a world, not soapboxing again, but when we live in a world where we now have to be careful which Mr. Potato Head we're going to buy for our children for Christmas. Y'all know about that, right? If you don't, you will. Uh, then we're, Satan is persecuting us. When we live in a world where... Uh, 
what I thought was really, really cool that uh, there was something on YouTube that the young girls and they all had their bows in their hairs. And I'm not going to say anything out loud. I don't want to get myself in trouble here. But now she is a promoter of that which is ungodly, according to Romans 1. So there goes that. And I can hear Paul saying, I don't mean to be rude, but I told you. I don't mean to, to hurt your feelings, but I told you it's going to get worse. Satan is attacking, we're being persecuted, and we think because we don't see them running, you know, walking down the street in armor, that therefore it's not persecution, but it is. When we cannot turn on our televisions without having to to be concerned about what's going to be seen and what's going to be heard and who's going to do what and and will that change tomorrow, we understand that's exactly what Paul was talking about. But notice what David said. You know, sometimes it just makes me like that uh, wineskin in the heat and the smoke. Yet I have not forgotten. I remembered what you said. Acquainted with the sacred scriptures, verse 14 or 15, back in 2 Timothy 3, that are able to make you wise unto salvation. And then the verse that says, all scripture is breathed by God. So as we think about it, living as an eternal soul in human flesh, sometimes I seek, I need the comfort during tough times. But number two, living as an eternal soul in human flesh... Sometimes I seek help in an evil world that surrounds me. Similar to this. Not the same, but let's look at verses 84 through 87. I seek help. It's one thing to understand, but do we ask for help? Look with me, verses 84 through 87. Sorry, I lost my place. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on the earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. It's because of the context here that I don't uh, see his questions as being negative questions or criticizing questions. David is saying, times are tough for me. How much longer will this last? Because I'm not sure how much I've got in me. But I haven't forgotten what you said. I continue. Notice what he said in verse 87. I haven't forsaken. Your commandments are sure. The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. That's an interesting word. We don't use that much anymore. But the insolent, the proud, the arrogant, those, it makes me think of Romans 1, those who reject the Word of God, those in 2 Timothy that Paul said have a uh, knowledge of truth, but they reject its power. Those people have dug pitfalls. What's a pitfall? What's a pit? A hole in the ground. That's right. It couldn't be more. Now, why in the world would you dig? Okay, here's the question. Why would I go out in an area where I know another human being is going to traverse, going to go back and forth across, why would I go out there and dig holes, large holes in the ground where those individuals are going to be walking? What would be my purpose? It's that simple. Because I want them to do what? 
What? Fall in it, right? Fall in it. Fall in it and be captured. Fall in it and hurt themselves. Fall in it and be destroyed. Fall in it and stop doing what it is they were doing. You see, if this person was going to deliver a message and he falls in my hole, what happens to the message? Doesn't get delivered. If this person is going to carry a gift to someone else to lift them up and they fall in a hole, what happens to the gift? It doesn't get delivered. He said, the insulin have dug pitfalls for me. They've dug holes. Is that true for us today? Are there holes for us? Absolutely. There are holes for us today that our, our children, our teenagers, our young adults are falling into that have been dug by Satan that we need to be aware of that we're falling into. Now, I can't address what those are for you. I can address what they are for me. But you understand they are there. The key here is what? All your commandments are sure. I have not forsaken your precepts. Okay, let me ask you a question. And I'm not trying to be cute here, really not. But let's say if you had to go through a patch of woods. That's a good Prentice County word, isn't it? Woods? Not forest. We don't have any forest around here. We've got a lot of woods. But if you were going through the woods... And it was night. And you knew for an absolute fact there were no less than a dozen large, old, abandoned, open whales in the acre and a half that you had to walk through. What would you do? Don't say not go. You don't have a choice. Come on, talk. What? Watch carefully. Well, if it's, in the, if it's at night, what are you going to do? Carry a light with you, right? Carry a light. And carry one better than that cell phone. You know? Carry a light and watch. Who said watch carefully? Now, wait a minute. Does the New Testament not, not talk about walking circumspectly as those who are wise? You know, that's an old King James word that we love to say. It means watch where you're going, brother. It means watch where you're going, sister. Watch where you're putting your feet. Why? Because there are holes everywhere. Pitfalls that Satan has dug that are cleverly disguised. And one of the things that I made, and I, again, I wasn't trying to be uh, cute, but when I read this particular, uh, I thought to myself, you know, there are a lot of things that are here that we don't recognize. We look in the Old Testament and we look in the New Testament. We see the pitfalls. We see the pitfalls that David faced or, and, and the ones that Joseph faced. And we see the persecutions that the early church faced. But we don't see what's right in front of our faces. And I thought, if I were a poker player, and I'm not, I would never play against Satan. Because he is the ultimate strategist. He's the old, because he never does the same thing twice. There is no pattern for you to figure out about Satan other than he's going to destroy you and he never changes that effort. But he's the ultimate strategist as he goes through that process. Now, in 1 John 5 and verse 19, what did... What was it that John said there? Uh, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in wickedness. 
I like one particular translation, Luther, that says, lies under the sway or control of the wicked one. Uh, I like the idea of lies and wickedness because it's, all, it, it's like that old country word we use called waller. It's just surround, we're surrounded by it. We'd be silly not to realize that. We're silly when we sit in, in the dry, comfortable confines of our church buildings and think that we are immune from the, the danger that faces us every day. The empty spots around us ought to tell us they're quite dangerous. But the whole world lies in wickedness. I know that it, that's what David was saying. That he, that's what he was crying out about, that they've dug pitfalls for me. And he said, help me. Isn't that an interesting wording? The, your English translation has an exclamation point behind it because it was said with some, help me. He wasn't crying out in desperation as though God wasn't able to help him. He wasn't crying out in, criti in, in, in uh, frustration, criticizing God. He knew where the help came from. If there was a criticism of weakness, it was his own, saying, help me because I might not, I know I can't do it myself. And I might not well, last without it, or I know I won't. Okay. In 2 Timothy 3 and verse 13, we just read that. What does it say? Evil men and imposters will what? Wax worse and worse. Now, for those who don't appreciate that old language, how would you say it in everyday talk? They're just going to keep doing what they're doing and get worse at it every day. It, they're going to get worse and worse and worse. And why should we be surprised? We shouldn't be surprised. The Bible has told us. The next time you hear someone say, the way things are right now, if the world stands, I hate to see what my grandchildren's children's world will be. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I know what it's going to be. It's going to be worse than it is now. You better start preparing them today. If we're here and they're here, and you plan for them to be prepared to live for God, it's, you better get them ready and lay a foundation because it's going to get worse. Now, in Hebrews 4 and verse 16, we can't leave without looking at that verse. Then let, lest then draw confidence, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we might find, what? Grace, mercy, and grace to help in time of need. Draw near to, what? The throne of grace. He's talking about Christ there in Hebrews 4, 16, that we might find mercy. Isn't David asking for mercy? Yes. And he's also saying, help me, Lord. As I live as an eternal spirit in human flesh, I need, I need help, just like David did. I need to cry out for help. That verse says, let's come to the throne of grace. This morning's lesson made it clear that when we read, when we let the Word of God fill us, that it doesn't just enlighten us, it doesn't just uh, give us knowledge, empower us with knowledge, but it fills us. We contact that grace. God has a way in. He has a way in through His Spirit. He has a way in through His truth. He has a way in through His Word. Grace to help in time of need. Do you believe God can help you in tough times? I hope. I pray. Do you let Him do that? 
That's what David said. He cried out, help, help me. So when we look around, uh, after that 30 minutes, I wouldn't recommend more than 15 of watching CNN, spend an hour and 15 minutes studying truth and praying to God to shore up your heart with it and your soul with it. And then write down at least the name of one person in your family or in your realm of influence that you can start planting that seed into today. Why not? Now, let's look at the third. Very quickly, verse 88, as we wind the, this text up. Living as an eternal soul in human flesh, sometimes I seek strength to serve till the end. And that's what I hear David here. David is understanding that he's an eternal soul. David understands that he's a child of God. He understands that he is God's servant. But he also understands he's in human flesh. And that flesh is weak. It gets tired. It's bombarded. And now notice what he says in verse 88. In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. That goes right back to this morning's lesson. That the things coming to us from the word of God are coming right out of the mouth of God. The key here is that I may keep. The word keep means embrace. It means to do. It means to... And I think it's important that you and I understand that keep doesn't merely mean obey. Or let me, let me qualify that. We need to understand what obey means. Obey means... That's how I'll put this. I do what I do. I do what God tells me so that I can be a child of God. To me, that's incorrect. I am a child of God and allow God to be my God and therefore I do what God wants me to do. It's not just merely... Have you ever... Have you ever known anybody, and please, again, don't tell any names. Have you ever known anybody at work to sign in for somebody that didn't go? Or punch somebody's time clock that wasn't there yet? Surely that would never happen. Uh, you ever, anybody ever been in a congregation where they kept attendance? This is be, some of you are going to date yourself. Uh, I've seen it one time. Had the old pegboard system. Had people's names little names under it, and you came in, you stuck your peg there. Anybody, anybody ain't seen those sides of me? Oh, a couple have, okay. How would you feel, Tommy, if I called you and said, hey, I'm not going to make it today. I'm, 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 so-and-so wants me to go. Will you stick my peg in the hole for me? No way. You think, can you imagine that? Sometimes we think that obeying God is just putting the, the pegs in the, in the holes and, and checking off the boxes, but in fact, that has never been obedience to God. He said, in your steadfast love, Lord, give me life. Let me live. Give me life from the inside out so that I can keep, so that I can embrace, so that your commandments can become a part of every fiber of my being as I live, as I serve. And I hope or I pray that that's our prayer as we think about it. Let's look at Romans 8 again. He said, wait, we're going back to Romans 8? I thought we read it all. No, we read almost all of it. 
But I want you to notice what the last part says. Sometimes I, I seek, as an eternal soul in human flesh, I seek the strength to serve until the end. Now, let's start at verse 35. Who shall separate us? Romans 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, here's some familiar words, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Folks, do you hear that? Absolutely nothing can separate us if we are attached that way to the love of Christ. And that comes through the Word of God. I hope after tonight you might spend a little more time thinking about Romans 2 and verse 10. Well, isn't that the verse that says we better live faithful after we're baptized? It says a whole lot more than that. In Revelation 2 and verse 10, and we'll close with that. He is talking to the church at Smyrna. And you understand there were likely more than seven churches in this region but in listening to what he said to the seven churches of Asia, we can learn what it is to be a child of God and serve him as a congregation of his people. Now watch this, verse 10. Do not fear what is about you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. Now, Please don't read that passage and think that it is exclusive of being thrown into prison. Could I be thrown into prison if I take the stand? I could. But remember, the devil is the ultimate strategist. What's the key here is that if you are faithful, you will be tested. It might be prison. It might be laws that are put into place. It might be societal mainstreams that completely cover us to the point that being a child of God is a whole lot harder than it used to be if we're truly going to be. And are we being tested? What do he say? Be faithful under death, no matter what. And I'll give you a crown of life. Now, it's always my hope that these lessons do nothing other than uh, make you want to study this some more. Uh, God willing, we will continue our study of Psalm 119. 542. I may actually get this right eventually. Thank you. so. Yes, sir. Give me say it on the mic. Just a few days ago, right? 
Friday. Okay. So we want to remember that family in our prayers. Thank you. Uh, are there any other announcements like that? If you have um, not partaken of the Lord's Supper, if you'll make your way to the back, someone will help you with that if you have that need. If you are a parent or a grandparent who's in, uh, who's in charge of picking up children, if you'll go make your way now and do that, we appreciate that. Now, as they are doing that, the rest of you must turn towards someone else and say, I hope you have a great week and smile. Not your husband or wife. You can do that at home. Somebody else. All right. Thank you. Y'all dismissed. <laughs>